So I'm glad that you came in, man. I really appreciate it. I'm this, happy to do it for you. Sure, why not? Oh, man, you're such good. A you never know. Well, then what do you want? Sell a few books. Yeah, exactly. What do you want to start with? Whatever. However you want to do it. I mean, for what I've done after I retired, after I've not seen you guys, how, how I'm doing, my health, whatever you want to say. Okay. Well, you know what? We forgot to tell you. We for, um, So we're doing this podcast to like basically generate public information, get people to know other interesting people, but also to provide healthcare information for people, sure. which you're going to share that, right? But what yes. we also wanted to say was, that this podcast, we haven't monetized it yet, but if it does become monetized, 25% of our proceeds are going to support MDA, SMA, and also cystic fibrosis. Sure. So we're going to donate that stuff to them. Sure. Um, but let's, let's get started with uh, who you are and uh, what you've been doing. Sure. Are we, uh, are we recording already, Ray? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, well, I guess if we're already on the mic or already on the tape, I was going to say, is there anything you don't want us to talk about or ask about? I won't. I'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll veer away from it. Okay. Okay. Well, coach, why don't you, you do, I don't even know if you really need an introduction because you're pretty well known <laughs> you know, and you're I in think, a league. I think maybe I do. Yeah. My name is Mike Westoff. I've known you two guys so well for when I was doing some rehab work after my many surgeries. Um, and I got to know you through those times. I was a, in 1987, I was a cancer patient. I had osteogenic sarcoma, primary bone cancer, and a series of surgeries afterwards, very complex surgeries, frankly. And then, and I, and I didn't make them any better. <laughs> I, I kept breaking the grafts. Uh, first one I broke was the original allograft, which was when they remove a tumor they would replace that part of your bone with a bone from a cadaver and then right. plate it together. That's the first one I had. Coach, where were the, where was the tumor? The tumor was in my left femur. Yes. It was an egg-sized tumor. They removed seven inches of my femur. I had it done at Massachusetts General Hospital by a surgeon that invented the surgery, actually, and it worked great. But like anything, they can be... They can be fragile. I, I, I shouldn't say fragile because that really doesn't apply to me, but it broke and mm -hmm. I had it repaired and it broke again. And then a doctor at Sloan Kettering in New York uh, kind of redid the whole thing. And he, he used a metal, uh, a metal prosthesis that was internally for me, uh, very thick metal. You would never think in a thousand years that this could break. Uh, Biomet makes them a tremendous company. Mine was custom made. This surgeon's the best. He, he might be the best in the world, John Healy. I mean, he's the man. And um, I broke it. I broke part of it. Uh, and then I had that repaired. And then I broke the next one. Though so Biomet, in the history of their company, they've had three broken. I broke two. <laughs> so they don't want to hear me call. They just, and I don't know how it happened. I really don't know. It just happened. I think our body chemistries are different and they react differently to whatever's in your system. I noticed one time when I looked at x-rays of my prostheses, they all seem to be a little tiny bit, I don't know if this is the right word, but almost corroded, hmm. just a touch. And it and it, it looked different from what I had seen. So I think maybe I'm just a little tougher. And it doesn't mean it's just, you know, we're all, our chemistries are all different. Yeah. And I think mine was a little bit different too. And so that was some of the problems that I had. And then of course the, the, the surgeries are very difficult because they're the first one was 12 hours. The last one I had when I was 
70 years old, was eight and a half hours. And then when I would come back home to Florida, mm-hmm. it's where I got to know you guys because I would come and I would rehab. And you guys helped me, you know, kind of get the back to where I could walk again. I wore a big full leg brace. I walked to the cane or crutches. But then I I got away from all that and I, I'm pretty much normal now. You coached on a cane and crutches yes. as well. Yes, I did. Was- I coached for 32 years in the National Football League. Uh, in fact, I just wrote a book about it. It's going to be published. It's coming out by Madison Books. It'll be out in July. The book's called Figure It Out. I couldn't be more proud of anything than I am of this. It took me over two years to write it. Yeah. It was a perfect time for me because yeah, I wrote it during the pandemic. It was perfect. So I would write every day. And you know, I had a guy help me. That's a writer from New York. But I wrote every word. Then I would send it to him. And, and then he would conduct interviews with the various players or doctors or people from Biomed or my son, whomever. And then he would take those interviews and incorporate them into the book. And we put this whole story together. And um, when I started in 1982 in the National Football League, you know, what I was coaching, I was an offensive coach. And then I eventually became a special teams coach. And that whole part of the game transitioned. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a lot to do with, with making it change. I, it was just like any other profession. Sometimes you have to be aware of this in any job. Are you in the right place at the right time? And if you are, then you should take advantage of them. If you're not, then don't kid yourself because maybe it's a job that's not as good as you think. Though for me, it was the right place at the right time. This part of the game in the NFL was primitive. It was primitive. Uh, There was basically no innovation and absolutely no regulation. Hmm. So I came along. I knew nothing about that part of the game, nothing. And I started from scratch. I wrote about this. I wrote a lot about it. And uh, I kind of developed it. I started to change things. And of course, everybody started, you know, we all kind of copied one another. But I think I had as much to do as anybody. And um, if I could stop you for a second, which part of the game do you mean? Kicking game, special kicking. teams. Kicking, okay. Every part, every part. Okay. Every, you know, field goal, field goal block. Punt, right, right. punt return, kickoff, kickoff return, onside, any part of it. And coaching everybody that's involved in it. Okay. I did the whole thing. And pretty much now, now that it's so rapidly changed because of safety regulations and things like that, I hold a lot of the records and nobody's going to get them because there's no plays. Well, how do you know? Kickoffs are touchbacks yeah, today. Right. Things have changed. And so like my, my years with the Jets, I, I was with most of my career. I started with the Colts for a couple of years. I was at Miami for 15 when I coached Shula and Marino. We were really good. Then I went to the Jets at 2001, and we were really good for a while. We were in the playoffs 60% of the time I was there. And then I then I, I quit, and I went to work for ESPN. I retired, and I did a television show in New York. And then in 2017, the New Orleans Saints got a hold of me and asked me to come back. In fact, I got a Saints shirt on. Yeah, Asked me to come back, and I loved it. I had a ball, and we were really good. Yeah, Drew Brees was a quarterback. We were really good. Yeah, we should have gone to two Super Bowls. We just we lost on that crazy play in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then yeah. that non-call against the Rams—the worst officiating mm-hmm. mistake in history of sport—and <laughs> um, and I didn't get to go, but we were good anyway. And then I retired again. This time, then I actually retired. But I wrote I wrote a book about it. So it's all about my adventures 
in this part of the game. And a pretty cool thing that happened to me, I'll give you an example. Um, this past fall, September, I guess it was, I was invited to uh, Miami to a celebration of life for Coach Don Shula. When, when Coach had died a couple years ago, it was in the middle of the pandemic, and they really couldn't do anything. So they had a celebration of life for him at the stadium. And, and he and I were very – I was with him a long time. And so, of course, I went. And Roger Goodell was there, the commissioner of the NFL. Mm-hmm. And you know, and he was talking to myself and some other – and he was telling, teasing me and telling these other people. And he said, Mike, he said, you're the last person that could complain about the rule changes. He said, because we had to change most of them because of you. <laughs> he said, the stuff you did, you were killing people. <laughs> and then he said – and he told these people that. And it's on the back cover of my book, actually. He said uh, – he said, believe me when I'm telling you this. He said, the National Football League, he said, we referred to him, me, as a mad scientist. And he said, Mike Westoff changed the game. Sure. And I'm pretty proud of that. Well, you did change the game, and that's why you have a rule named after you as well. <laughs> there's, there's a few of those things. Though it was kind of fun. You know, it's a fun time to do it, and I loved writing about it because of the fact that, you know, I wasn't dealing with the $160 million quarterback. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I was dealing with the kid from nowhere that just came out of nowhere, came unheralded. Maybe he wasn't as big as he should have been. Everybody looked at him like, who the hell is this? And the next thing you know, he plays 10 years. It changes his life, and we change the game. And that, to me, was the most important part of what I did. So I wrote about that and chronicled it. But then in the middle of all of it, as I went through it, because I was battling cancer almost the whole time. Um, I included that part. So I think there's a lot of it that, you know, the, the average person deals with in their life because, you know, there's none of us to come through unscathed. Right. You know, there aren't going to be too many of us where the chariots come down and take us to heaven. It was probably <laughs> going to be a little rougher route. And so that's what I wrote about and, you know, how I did it and, and the guys that I was with and then what we did. And then when they were interviewed, for me to actually listen to the interview, because I didn't conduct the interview. I set it up, but I didn't conduct it. And to hear them talk about it was so rewarding for me. And it just makes it a fun story that, that I think anyone can relate to. Yeah. And people are going to, and plus the medical things, because I learned a lot about medicine. I, I learned really a lot about medicine. Because as I said in the book, uh, I don't think you really know crap about medicine unless you're the one wearing the wristband. Yeah, I would agree with you. That's when you learn. Yeah. You guys have been in rehab. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what it takes to get someone from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have tried, you've had to do it. But we still yeah. don't know the experience of the patient. But you don't know through. the experience of the patient. That's right. And that's where those two things work in conjunction. That makes it work. So so talk about that because I remember having a conversation with you long ago. You were talking about your history in healthcare as far as like cancer is concerned. Mm-hmm. You come from Buffalo. Pittsburgh. Oh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but we were talking about the different sites around the country where the government or businesses covered up nuclear waste. And those places are related to uh, higher rates of cancer. That's exactly how I came down with it. Yeah. Exactly how. There was a, I, I was, oh, I guess I was probably in my 30s. That's when you were first diagnosed? No, no, no. I was first diagnosed. Uh, well, yeah, when I was first no, when I was first diagnosed, I was 40 years old. 
But I was in my, I'm trying to think, I was in my 40s. When I saw there was an article in the, uh, in the, the um, USA Today, front page, about just what you're just talking about, about sites all over America that mm-hmm. back during the arms race, private industry had helped build nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. They had helped build this stuff because it was part of the deal. Nobody was trying to hurt anybody. It was just part of the deal. People didn't know. Companies didn't know. So they were disposing a lot of this material. You know, they were trying to bury it in coal mines or, you know, put it deep in the ground, things like that. And, and it really was uh, a lack of some knowledge. And this whole article was about these different areas of the country that were kind of red hot zones. Well, there was an area outside of Pittsburgh when I was, after I graduated from college, I coached in high school and taught there for a few years. I lived in an apartment complex built unknowingly right on top of what was once kind of an abandoned coal mine that they disposed plutonium. Mm. Oh, geez. I developed bone cancer. Yeah. Now, because of the fact that mine was so slow growing that it basically the doctor that did my surgery and they did my pathology felt that I probably had that tumor for over 20 years before I ever felt anything. It was so glow, so slow growing. He referred to it as mercrotic. I'm pretty sure that's the word. And what that, you know, just like, you know how, you remember, you know, charcoal grill, when you picked up a piece of charcoal and it was kind of dusty and sort of fell apart a little bit. Right. That's the same idea. That's mercrotic. It kind of dissolves a little bit. That's what that's what my tumor was like. Mm-hmm. So I never really felt it until all of a sudden it just eventually got pretty big and started to hurt. Sure. And that, that's mm-hmm. when I noticed where I had the problem. Um, Joe, could you pull that a little bit closer to him? Yeah, yeah I got it. Yeah. So, so I just first noticed that, and that's where you know all of a sudden here I am with you know how do I have bone cancer? Mm-hmm. He said, you know, and then I looked and I thought well, you know, I used to live there. Could have that been it? I don't know, but it sure as heck could have. It certainly could have. Well, I tell you that there's places all over the country. There's a place over in the east coast of Florida that's having the same problem. The water is polluted with some radioactive substance, and there's children that are developing cancers at a high rate. And it's these places that are developing in these areas that nobody knew that there was waste being disposed. Here I am, nearly 40 years old, Mm -hmm. coaching the Miami Dolphins. I was in great health. I worked out all the time. I didn't smoke, you know, I, I drank, but just reasonably, nothing crazy. And um, all of a sudden my leg hurts, mm-hmm. you know, and it just kept hurting. And then I eventually had, you know, a surgery and I had some tests done. And although they, the, the guy that did it sort of filed it up, I can't go into who that was. Was that <laughs> when you had your first prosthesis or was that no, just a removal no, of the first okay. one? When I it was first diagnosed, my pain was radiating down my leg and it took on uh, symptoms of sciatica. Oh, I so see. everybody thought I was having a problem with my back. I kept trying mm-hmm. to tell them, guys, I played golf all summer. Mm-hmm. My back doesn't hurt, but my leg aches. Oh, it's got to be sciatica. Okay. So they it, that's say, like a fallback all the time. People come in, leg hurts, they go sciatica almost immediately. That's, and then, I, you know, that's we, what happened to me by a doctor that was supposed to be pretty decent. Yeah. He was not as good as we thought. Anyway, um, they did test of my back. I had a little disc deterioration. I said, I'm 40. If you had lived my life, you'd have some disc deterioration too, please. That's right. Yeah, I grew up in a city. I got in 100 fights. I played football. 
you know, back when my pads looked like crap, you know, and he said, <laughs> yeah. please, I'm lucky I'm still here. And, and uh, so he operated on my back. During the back surgery, there was an accident. Uh, as he was doing a laminectomy on my, I want to say it was L2, way down at the bottom. Uh, as he was scraping a disc, he slipped a little bit, apparently, and nicked my iliac artery. Oh, ooh. Yeah, oh, it was right. Yeah. That's the second largest in your body. Uh-huh. Your aorta to your heart, down to your iliac, into your right and left femoral. That's not good. And so I, my blood pressure dropped, and I started to bleed, obviously. And uh, they put out a call, emergency call, and it's for me. Thank God. God bless him. This gentleman came in, his doctor. He was a vascular surgeon. He had come over to the United States from Cuba. He was a little guy, and he was such a genius. And he came in, and he said, you know, what's going on? And he said, we, the, the blood pressure's dropped. And he said, could have you maybe hit something? He said, oh, no. He said, maybe you did. <laughs> and so he tried to go in through the back and look, and he couldn't do it. So he packed my back, flipped me over, and took out my entire stomach and intestines. Jeez. Took them out of my body. Kept attached, of course. And laid them down. He had to grow down into my groins, mm -hmm. cut the splice the artery, and put me back together. And he did it fine. I, it was no problem. I mean, I woke up, you know, a day later. I was like, well, what happened to me? Right. And I have tubes everywhere. And I'm supposed to have a little incision this big. You know, and I here I'm like, I was like, whoa, what happened here? Yeah, I was gonna ask you were telling you're telling the story as if you were awake through the whole thing, but oh, no, you were out. Yeah. I know it, what happened because he described everything to okay. me. Okay. He and I became very good friends. He was a great man. You're lucky to be alive. I don't know one doctor ever, and believe me, trust me, one thing I know is doctors that knows anyone that survived that accident. Mm. Nobody. Yeah. It's almost impossible to do. Oh, yeah. This guy did it, and I survived. But then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm home now, and my leg hurts worse than ever. I'm like, why? And this friend of mine, who was a uh, pathologist, actually, who I used to know from college coaching when I was at Northwestern. He said, Mike, I don't like this whole thing. Something's not right. And so he hooked me up with a neurosurgeon in Miami mm -hmm. that did a complete thorough, and he really studied my leg. And he said, you know, something's, these muscles are just not working. And he found a mass, found a tumor. Now, now we're looking at a whole different deal, you know, because now all of a sudden, you know, I've got, I've got a tumor in my thigh. Did I ever need the back surgery? No. Right. I didn't need it. I was one angry individual. But now I had bigger problems. So a guy at the Mayo Clinic actually directed me. I was talking to different places all over the country. What am I going to do now? And he, he told me, he said, you know, if this were happening to me, he said, I'd go to Boston. He said, they're doing the best bone work in the country. Okay. I had two sisters that lived in Boston. So I'd pack up and I go up to Mass General, and that's a great hospital. Oh, yeah. It doesn't get any better than Mass General. And this guy that invented the surgery did one for me, and that started me on my journey. You know, and, I, of course, I went back to Miami, and then I, I was at um, uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital, and then I, I went through chemotherapy. Whoa. Whoa, that's tough. And I had two drugs, adriamycin and cisplatinum. That's the toughest it gets. And when I was doing it, there was no antidotes. There was no Zofran, none of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness gracious. I didn't have a hair on my body. I was a shade of green, almost like your shirt. Ooh. I, I was ooh, I was tough. But, you know, I survived it. 
and got out of the hospital. And I, I worked. I worked through it. I used to go out on the field, the practice field, and throw up in the grass. I did it almost every day. And then, you know, you learn how to deal with things. And, um, and I kept coaching. And, and then I started to feel better. You know, when I got back to normal, I had, a, I had some, you know, I had some bumps along the way. I had a metastasis that went to my lung. They took out a big piece of my lung. I had that, but that, that wasn't too terrible. Now I broke the graft and, you know, da, 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 da. But all these years later, I'm still here. So I made it work. And then I coached the whole time. So what I wrote about was my experiences going through all this while still coaching in the National Football League mm-hmm. and, and doing it pretty well. And, and having all these guys <coughs> that worked for me and with me, and we had a ball. I mean, it was really, really fun. And, uh, and I had a great career. So I was so excited to write about it. But one of the interesting things was the, the medical parts. <coughs> Excuse me. Because my medical journey was not the norm. No, no. <coughs> Excuse me. It just wasn't. I mean, we were... This was pretty complex. I had two of the greatest surgeons ever, a genius for an oncologist, genius. And uh, and I just know all the good ones. I just know all the good guys. So if anybody needs medical help, they should call me. I could tell them where to go. <laughs> I could, trust me, I know where to go. Well, And it worked. It worked for me. It did. But what kept you going? Because, I mean, we see quite a bit of patients. We try to explain to patients, hey, listen. You know, when you get a little bit older, everybody's going to have a bulging disc. Everybody's going to have a herniated disc. And now we're starting to say, hey, this bulging disc thing might be transient. It may be here today, and then a couple of years later, it's not there anymore. But what kept you going amidst all of your surgeries, your prosthesis, everything that you went through? I mean, you met some of the biggest personalities. You met some of the biggest stars. But what kept you, Mike Westoff, going? Good question. I think sometimes just the desire to, to, you know, number one, I believed that medically I was going to make it. See, I just believed that I, I could push myself pretty hard. I could work out hard. I wasn't afraid to work. You know, it just never bothered me. I was always in good shape and, and I could, I could push myself. So I kept doing it. I mean, I lifted, I would lift weights before I'd go get chemotherapy. I would just do anything I could. Um, I never stopped. When I was young, I grew up in, in uh, a family of six, and we didn't have much. We lived in a row house in the city. I knew to go to college, I get, had to get a football scholarship. That's how I, that's how I was going to go. If I didn't get one, I wasn't going. There was no money. So I got a scholarship. I figured it out, and, and I learned how to be a player. And then, then I went to graduate school with the idea of going to law school. That was my goal. I was going to go that so I could work in, like, the FBI or something. Hmm. And um, and then I was helping coach when I was going to graduate school, and I enjoyed it. The next thing you know, they hired me. And so away it went. And I coached in college for about 10 years. And then I went to the National Football League. And it was always so much fun for me to, um, to do that. And then to keep going, you know, you once you see something and you start to have a little – I was around some of the best people. I mean, I'm coaching with Don Shula. Now, you know, he's like first and nobody's second. Right. So, you know, my goal was always to be, well, how can I be better than him? Mm-hmm. What do I have to do? Or I went to the New Orleans Saints. I remember I, when I walked, they called me. I didn't know anybody there. I was working in the media. I was having a ball. I'd go to New York every week. I'd see my girlfriend. I was having a great time. I didn't want to. 
the hell was I? I was eating dinner in New York. I had a TV show. I did the Jets games for SMY Sports New York. I was having a ball. And I get this call from Sean Payton from the New Orleans Saints. I didn't know anyone. I knew who Drew Brees was. That's the only name I even knew. I never met the head coach. I never, I didn't know him. He said, Mike, we think we're really good, but our special teams are terrible. Would you come down and straighten them out? I said, no. <laughs> I said, I appreciate you asking, but no, I'm not coming. And then we got talking. And they made me a hell of a deal, and they talked me into it. I would not let them fire anybody, though. I told them, I said, if you fired a guy, I won't come. I said, I'll make it work. I said, he won't be happy, but his problem's not with me. It's with you. I'll make it work. So I went, I did it. And when I walked in there, they were ranked 31st in the NFL out of 32 teams. When I left, we were first. We were first. That was pretty cool. So I helped. But I told Sean one year, he said, how in the hell did you do this? And I said, well, I gave myself a goal. I said, I was going to finish ranked higher than you. I said, now you've been dealing with <laughs> That's what I told him. I said, now you've been dealing with Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. so I knew that if I that you were always in the top five. You were always uh-huh. in the top five because Sean Payton's a great coach. Oh, yeah. And, and He's Bre- really a good coach. Brees is a great quarterback. Brees is a great quarterback. <laughs> I said, so my goal was to beat you guys. And I did. I beat them. We were first, they were fourth. I said, so if I beat you, I know we're pretty good. So I always had those kinds of things in mind. Now, that was always my aspiration. How good could you be? You know, if you didn't make it, it's not the end of the world. You know, you don't jump off the bridge. You know, you just keep pushing it. You say, okay, I'm going to try to be the best. If I don't get there, okay, I probably won't. You know, it's okay. It's not, I'm not going to be happy. You know, and that's how I saw it. And that's why I just kept going and going and going. And I had fun. And I really, I loved and respected the players. Now, I was tough. I mean, the book, you'll, every one of them mm-hmm. will say this. Oh, he wasn't for everybody now. I mean, he wasn't for everybody. I can't, I, I, can't, I don't want to go on your podcast and talk how I used to talk. <laughs> no, I, no, no, no. You're swear, fine. I'd swear too much. We, we swear a lot. And actually, I've seen you on Hard Knocks. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not afraid to swear. Yeah. I, I know. And but like Tom, I, I picked this punter. I, I picked an all-star team, which oh, I loved doing it. I picked this team. And I talked about how in my career, I went against the greatest special teams players in NFL history. Deion Sanders, I picked as the best returner. Things, things like that. You know, Steve Tasker was a great, great player for mm-hmm. Buffalo. And, but I picked an all-star team. But they all played for me. And this was really Reggie Roby. I, mean, I had a good group. You know, at the Miami, I had O.J. McDuffie, and I had Leon Washington and Santana Moss. But anyway, uh, Taysom Hill at, at the Saints. But I picked the punter, Tom Morstead, who I think was great. Mm, yes. And he, and he was interviewed in a book. And he was talking about, he said, playing for Mike's not for everybody. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, one day in training camp, he said, this is his quoted in the book. And I led it just like this. He said, I'm walking off the field, and I didn't have a very good day. And he said, Mike looked at me, and he said, my six-year-old grandson can fucking punt better than that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he never smiled, and he just turned and walked away. He said, I wanted to kill him. He said, but, but he was right. He said, he put a bar so high that even I wouldn't have thought to keep it that high. He said, those years? Best years of my career. That's awesome. So that's what the book's about. Working with guys like that, 
and then just pushing them however it took. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't matter. It didn't really make any time. I just, I did one on the, on, on in the audio book today that, uh, that I read. I just read it today before I came here. Um, it was Zach Thomas. I drafted Zach Thomas. He was my guy. Oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah. I so, got his jersey in the closet. He tells, he tell the whole story of how I did it. It's a pretty good pick. That was a good pick. Yeah. By the way, I told my boy that I was uh, interviewing you and uh, I told him, you know, yeah, yeah, he worked with the Dolphins. He, his jaw dropped. He thinks, He's like, oh. so next thing you know, he's Googling you, and he just loves you to death now. Okay. <laughs> and then when I tell him that you you were responsible for Zach Thomas, he's going to go crazy. That's my guy. I went out to Texas Tech. I was, I'll, tell you, I'll, give, I'll give you a real quick story of it. I'm not going to tell you, people have to go buy this book to get it. Right, involved. right, right. I was going to graduate school and coaching at Indiana University. I got my master's degree in psychology. Well, it's actually in education with an emphasis in psychology. Anyway, I'm out there. I'm a young guy. And uh, we had had a coach. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll tell my call back. I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. Hey, it's Mike. I'll call you back, okay? Yeah, that's good. It's my writer, my writer. Anyway, um, we had a, a coach that he played there. He played during the 40s. He was a great player, captain, All-American, played for Detroit Lions. And then he coached at Indiana University. From like 1952 or something like that, I had it written down. I can't think of it now. To like 75 when I was there, and he died. He was a great man, good mentor to me, and a good guy. Well, anyway, Lee Corso was the head coach, and Lee came up to me, gave me the keys to his brand new car, and he said, "Mike, I'm going to need you this week." He said, "I want you to go up to Indianapolis and pick up Woody Hayes." He said, "Woody's coming over for Howard's funeral." He said, "I want you to be his host and take him where he needs to go." I'm thinking, oh, man, I'll be riding around with Woody Hayes. Two right. Well, I was the happiest guy in town. Right. Well, I picked him up. And we're dry. I took him everywhere. And he was such a good man. He was such a gentleman. He was smart. You know, he was articulate. He was educated. He read. He was just a great guy to talk to. Anyway, I spent two days with him. So now I'm driving him back to the airport from Bloomington. It's about an hour's drive. And he said to me, he said, you know, Coach, He said, you and I spent a lot of time these last two days talking. I said, yes, sir. And he said, you talked a lot about conditioning and weightlifting and things. And I said, yeah. And he said, I can see you you do it yourself. And I said, well, I try. I'm not exactly great, but I'm working on it. And he said, "Uh, I want you to remember something. He said, don't forget this. He said, you want to make make this business work? He said, remember this. He said, I never saw a weightlifter that was a football player. He said, but I've seen a lot of football players that lift weights and get better. He said, don't ever let a number keep you from deciding who's a football player, whether it's a high number or a low number. Don't let it happen. I go to Texas Tech to work out Zach Thomas. Now, I'm the only coach. There have been scouts, but I'm the only coach. Mm. When I got there, he was 5'10 and a half, and he weighed 223 pounds. He's a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And I worked him out and I loved him. I loved him because he was just a player. And then afterwards, and he now Zach's being interviewed. And Zach tells this story. He said, after that, I was when I made him, I made him show me a film that he didn't want to show me, you know. He said, he said, I was real cocky and stuff like that. It was pretty cool. But anyway, he said Mike got up to leave before he was going to leave. He went to use the bathroom. He said his notebook was right in front of me. He said, and I couldn't help to look at it. He said, all the tests that we had done, 
he lied about almost everything. He said, I did 22 bench presses. He put down 24. He said, so when he came back, I, I had to ask him, coach, what did you, why? And he said, I'm not going to let a number keep me from getting Zach Thomas. And I wouldn't. Great player, too. A great player. And He'll be all, in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. He'll go in the Hall of Fame. No, for yeah. sure. And then Zach tells the story. He said, I'm in my first NFL training camp. I said, I got drafted in the fifth round. Said, Mike, Mike drafted me. So I'm drafted in the fifth round. Um, he said, and I, I had an injury. And he said, it was early in training camp. And he said, so I'm out and practicing just shorts. And he said, Mike came out. And he didn't know. And he came over to me and he said, you know, what's the matter? What's going on? He said, I coach him. I got a little bit of a hamstring. He said, Mike said, I, well, what, what, how much, how, what happened? He said, ah, it's not bad. He said, he said, he put his hand out like this. He said, I just, I just kind of tweaked it. Mike said, oh, you tweaked it, huh? Now you have to know, Zach talks about this in the book. He said, you have to picture this in the Miami Dolphin practice fields are just a little bit north of the flight pattern going in and out of the Fort Lauderdale airport. So just a little ways away, you could see the planes going in and out. He said, so Mike said to me, you know, I'm really glad you told me about that, Zach. He said, I'm really glad you told me. And he said, he put his hand out just like me. He said that, that you tweaked that hamstring. He said, because tomorrow morning when I'm out here and I see that plane take off and that plane kind of tweaks, he said, I know your ass is going to be on there going back to fucking Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach said, I was so scared. He said he never smiled. He just walked away. And he said, I never missed another practice. <laughs> he said, but then I came to know that that was just his way, mm -hmm. that nobody cared about us more than he did. Mm -hmm. He said, but that was his way of just letting me know that it really wasn't all okay. And so that's what the book's about. It's just about all these kinds of things that, uh, that I did in my whole career. And I did them while I was going through the medical procedures that I had. And part of that stuff was, you know, getting to know you guys so I could figure out a way to start to walk again properly. Well, but that's, that's, what, that's I, what it's about. That's what I meant earlier. Well, first off, I want to say, Zach Thomas, the thing I appreciate about him the most is his character and his heart. That, that guy, that, that motherfucker's all heart. He was a great player. I great mean, guy. Terrific, great terrific kid. player. Great and family man. I, I've been to his house a number of times. He comes over every year and goes shark fishing with me. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we go all the time. You're He's still doing good, that? Yeah. Yeah, I still do it. <laughs> I still catch him, too. I, I, I was gonna, I'm, going, I was gonna, I'm going out next day. I'm going out Tuesday. I wait till the wind. I don't like when it's windy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't like when it's windy. It's just no fun. Now, so I asked you earlier, like, what kept you going? It was really the, the love for your job for coaching and, that desire, and the players. That desire. Yeah. The thing that the thing I, I went up to the combine this weekend. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't go to the combine. I just went up there. They invited me to a dinner. They had a dinner for all special teams coaches, and they, the guy that sponsored the dinner wanted me to talk to them. So I kind of gave them a little bit of a speech about that the game has changed so dramatically that if they don't stay on top of it, their role is going to be it's already diminished. Mm -hmm. and it'll be dissipated and it'll be gone if they don't stand if they don't get ahead of it. Anyway, and I was telling them just as I this does for myself, is that there, there's two great parts to me to being a coach. One is being able to achieve, just like any business, a particular level of excellence. 
whatever it is. I don't care what it is. Mm -hmm. Pick something that's high and shoot for it. So I had a level that I really wanted to be at. I felt like, I know, everybody thinks I'm I like I act like I invented most of it. because I did. So I'm not afraid to tell them. You know, they all think I'm arrogant, which I probably am. But I loved it so much. And so I always wanted to be really good. And I had such a high goal that if we could keep it, great. If we couldn't, well, then I, I put more pressure on myself than I ever did to players. But anyway, that was the first thing. But the second and probably the best was to take some kid out of nowhere that nobody knew. Nobody thought he's, you know, Taysom Hill never dressed in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Saints and they started mm-hmm. playing for me. Now everybody knows who he is. He's yeah. the best hybrid player in the league. Yes, he is. And he's a decent quarterback, mm-hmm. but he's a great hybrid player. Great. And I, I found him. I was, he was, I could see him coming out of the shower with a towel. And I'm like, who's this guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's racked. Thinking, well, what's he play? <laughs> he's a quarterback. <laughs> quarterback. Well, I got him. He played for me and he did great. I told all about that story. But anyway, to be able to take that kind of guy, give him a chance, and change his life. And then changed the whole game. And changed the team. And changed the team. And made the team so much better. So much better. Thank now, you. Exactly correct. That's right. Here's a question for you. Could Tim Tebow have been that guy? Could he have done what J- Taysom Hill has done? Okay. Uh, as much as Tim Tebow won't want to hear this, no. Because Tim Tebow can run and play at a certain level. But Tim Tebow won't break an egg. Tim Tebow doesn't hit anybody. Mm. See, Taysom Hill run down a hill on a kickoff and knock the hell out of you. Tim Tebow, he'd be playing baseball if he had to do that. Mm. That's not Tim's. That's not his strength. Can he run with a ball? And is he, is it, is he have enough courage to do that? Yes. Those other things. That's not Tim's strength. And he played for me. I love him. I, I used to use him as a personal protector on a punt team because we'd run fakes. Mm-hmm. Well, I got stuck one time and I had to keep him in there. And they ran a block. These guys come, all you do is step up and play. He just guy ran right past him. So nah. I'm not, he's not my favorite when it comes to that. Plus, he can't throw. He can't throw and hit those trees. <laughs> well, that's just all right. Not, that's now, just the way he is. But, I, and it, but in some other things, I could see why he won the Heisman Trophy because he was perfect for that scheme of offense. And don't forget, he had an all star team around him now. Yes, Percy Harvard yeah. and those guys. I mean, those guys were really good. And, and, and he did a great job with them. So I'm not being critical of him in that regard. It just is, he's not Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill would knock your head off. That's awesome. Taysom Hill, tough as nails. Well, and I'm not going to diminish anything about Tim. I think no, he's a I, great I just, player. I'm just being honest. That's how I feel. That speech where he gave your, that no one's going to play harder than me, and we're going to that was one of the best college speeches of all time. Tim's, Tim's a great kid. He's a, he's a good man. But Okay. So but he's in a perfect role. It's just it doesn't make – in a lot of ways, he's a better college quarterback than Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. But he's not a better overall football player like for the National Football League. It's not even close. But that's what's interesting is that you take these players who are supposed to be this and supposed to be that, and you're like, hmm, I got a role for this guy, or I can help this guy, or I can take this guy that no one's ever heard of and make them – and help them achieve – some level of success that they're probably not able to see. You can see their potential is what you're saying. Sure. That's awesome. I love that. I just, I like finding that guy 
it's a great story. I'm, I, I won't tell the whole story because I'm going to make people, they got to go back. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was at Miami and I signed a young man, a running back out of Ball State in, in Indiana, Muncie, Indiana, a kid named Bernie Parmalee. Now, I loved him. I loved him. But he was green as grass. I mean, he came from a smaller school. You know, this, this wasn't Alabama. You know, this is Ball State. And, and he's a, he was so tough. But he made a lot of mistakes in training camp. You know, it was hard for him to pick the offense up. He was behind. The running back coach did not like him. And, and we'd always, are. I, you know, I'd fight for the kid. You know, I said, oh, man. <laughs> coach Shula kind of liked him because he was tough. But it's, we cut him. We actually we cut him early in training camp. And then after about a week, we lost, a couple running backs got hurt, so we brought him back. Well, every time we bring him back now, I'm, I'm excited because I love the kid. So I'm working him and moving him around. And then we go toward the end of training camp, we cut him again. We cut him. So uh, I, I, I took a look at our schedule, and I knew that we were going to practice twice. We'd practice once in the morning and once late afternoon. And our general manager, Charlie Winter, Every day at one o'clock, I remember this is 1987, 88, maybe somewhere around there. Our general manager would send a fax to the NFL off to the NFL office with our transactions. You know, it wasn't a computer. It wasn't like today. You know, everything. It wasn't. It wasn't today. 19. You know, this is a fax. Right. So I went to him and I said to him, Charlie, you're gonna when you we send your stuff in. He said, oh, I'm gonna send in tomorrow, same time. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try something. So I go to our equipment guy. I said, Bobby, I said, leave, leave Bernie's stuff in his, unif- in his uniform in his locker. He said, Mike, we just cut him. I said, leave it in his locker. I said, all right, I'll do it for you. Then I talked to our, our security guy who was going to drive him to the airport. I said, when are you taking him? He said, I'll take him tomorrow anytime. So how can you take him in the afternoon? He said, all right. So I go to Bernie's room that night. And he was all apologetic. He said, Coach, I'm sorry. He said, I know you tried your tail off and I got cut, you know. I said, look, you're going to make it in the league. You're going to make it. You just need a chance. Just you're going to get a chance. I said, I want you to come to practice tomorrow morning. He said, Coach, they cut me. (laughs) I said, so what? I said, just put your helmet on and hide in the back. Nobody knows who the hell you are anyway. You're just a rookie. I said, Coach Shula's up front talking to Marino. He don't know what you're doing back there. Just keep your head down. I said, now the first period of practice is my period. It's me. I'm going to put you back on the punt team at your spot. I said, now I'm going to make the last punt live. You better make the play of a lifetime. I said, because I'm going to take a shot. Now, you couldn't do it today. Today, everybody would know. But back then, I mean, I wasn't hurting anything because we officially, he was not released because it hadn't been turned into the league office. So I wasn't jeopardizing the Miami Dolphins. But no, I was taking a little bit of a chance, Mm -hmm. a little bit of a chance. So he's in the back hiding, got his head down. (laughs) You should hear him tell the story. He tells the story in the book, too. And, uh, and so the first period is a punt period, and we're practicing stuff. And Coach Shula's watching Reggie Roby punt. You know, Reggie Roby used to hit, you know, he hit the ball to the moon. So everybody's watching, you know, boom, going <laughs> and This kid's practicing. So I said, I yelled, I said, I want to clear the field, clear, get everybody off the field, everybody. I said, I want this live. And I told Reggie, I said, Reg, hit me a line drive. 
right down the middle because I want to make sure that we can run it, that we have to run and cover the whole place. Red said, okay, I'll do it. They smash a line drive. You would have thought there was an automobile accident. The noise was so loud. Bernie hit this kid so hard. Boom! Now I'm loving it. And I'm screaming. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Coach Shula looked at me. What the F are you doing? <laughs> now my, my heart's going like this. <laughs> what? And it, I'll tell you what saved me. Coach Shula and our running back coach was a guy named Carl Tassif, a great, a good man, a good friend of mine, actually, but the grouchiest old guy ever. Carl was just a grouchy. And he and Coach Shula were college roommates at John Carroll University in Ohio. And then Carl went on. They both played in the league a little bit, and Carl played a pretty long time. He was a running back and a punt returner, you know, one of those kind of guys. And then Carl worked for Don, and they fought like cats and dogs. But Don always won because he was the boss. Anyway, <laughs> Carl comes running up screaming, screaming at me, swearing, Mike, you SOB. He's calling me every name. We cut that SOB last night. You got him out here practicing. He's swearing at me, you know. Coach Shul looked at him and he went, you know, Carl, why don't you shut the hell up? <laughs> and he said, maybe you should give the kid a chance. Now I'm going, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he said, then he looked at me and he went, I'll talk to you after practice. <laughs> but for the rest of the practice, I never heard another word. <laughs> I might as well just gone and sat on the bench because I was worthless. So I was so scared. After practice, he comes up to me. What the hell are you doing? I said, Coach, I, I, I couldn't even talk. You know, I mean, this is Don Shula. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. He's the, he's the most powerful individual in the National Football League. I mean, he was the head of the commissioner. Nobody messed with him. <laughs> he said, ah. I said, Coach, I knew we weren't going to turn it in. I knew I wouldn't get in trouble. Or we, I couldn't get anybody in trouble. I just want to give him a chance. And he said, you know, he said, that kid is tough. He said, you're right about that. He said, he's tough. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to send him home today. He's going home right now. He said, but we'll bring him back and put him on a practice squad and give him a shot. See what happens. I said, if you ever, <laughs> no, sir, no, sir, I promise you, said, if you ever do anything like this again, he said, but you do have some balls. <laughs> You've got some balls, mate. Anyway, make a long story short. We bring him back, put him on a practice squad. And he's working with us. You know, We're about halfway through the year, and we're going up to New York to play the Jets. And Coach Shula came into my office, and he said, Mike, uh, he said, if I activate Bernie this week, he said, what will you play him on? I said, Coach, I'm playing him on everything. I said, this guy's really good. Because <laughs> he'd been practicing the whole time, and he got getting better and better. He said, okay, let's give him a shot. He played nine years in the NFL. Incredible. Yeah, I remember him well. I'm you a Dolphins him? fan, and he was one of the guys. I'm like, give Bernie the ball. Get it to him. Tough as hell. Yeah. He played nine years. Man. That's how it happened. You know, that that's a great segue. I had a question, um, and this is not an easy question, but it'll probably be easy for you. How much of a player's success or a team's success is due to coaching. And I'm not I don't mean coaching for the team. Good point. I mean coaching throughout their lifetime. How much of that is opportunity, luck, the right coaching, the type of coaching? Because you know what I'm talking about. There are certain players that do well 
in a certain coach's, you know, system or style. Well, that's Whereas the key. other players that's can the go key. anywhere. What you just said is the key. That's the key, what you just said. Obviously, if a player's got the makeup, mental makeup, physical makeup, because the, the physical makeup in the NFL is an issue. Mm-hmm. Because lots of good college players. I, mean, I was a good college player. I cut after about three minutes at training camp in Dallas. I was like, well, I might not even <laughs> three minutes, but I was a good college player. That's part of it. So if you have those things, there are the part, the coaching part, more than anything, is being in the right place and doing the right thing. What fits you? That's the key. Good coaches have that ability where they know that system. Like like a lot of times, you know, you you see a guy comes in, you know, and he's trying to do something. I sit there looking, thinking he can't do that to save his life. You know, you can't forget it. You got to you got to change some things. I like Baltimore. You know, take uh, you know the quarterback. I can't think of his name right now for a second. Joe Flacco. No, no, the kids. Lamar Jackson. Oh, Jackson. Lamar. Okay. But they they changed the whole offense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They changed Mm -hmm. the whole offense. That's right. They made a commitment to give this kid a chance. Mm -hmm. If they don't do that, he's just a guy. But in this, eh, no. So a lot of times, the coaching part of it, you know, it's not the Newt Rockney speech. It's so much, so many times, it's just being in the right place, the right time knowing where to put guys. What I did, and I started, I actually wrote a lot about this. Um, For me, a lot of it started out of necessity. Because when I was at Miami and was doing this, you know, our offense was so much built around Dan Marino. Rightfully Mm so. I mean, the only best freaking guy. Yeah. So we're we're keeping a lot of guys that that made, that did things for him. But that doesn't mean they're going to be very, do what I want to do. You know, so all of a sudden I had to find this guy that's like our fifth receiver or something that we're keeping because he can do stuff for Dan. Well, now I got to put him on a kickoff team. Well, where in the hell am I going to play him? So what I had to do is become creative and find roles for guys. And, and so I did a million different things. The thing that I learned that really helped me, in fact, it's on the cover of my book. I realized that because of the way the game is, it goes, that I basically had a timeout before every play. Because mm-hmm. the clock was stopped. So I drew everything. Everything. I took it from being kind of, oh, kind of primitive to being somewhat of an art form, I believe. So I had so many thousand different things that we did. Every coverage was different. Every every play was different. But I just get in a huddle. You guys are right there. I'm, I said, okay, now. You knew exactly what to do. The key thing was I could put you in a million different spots, but you almost always had the same role. But Hmm. they didn't know that because you're playing playing five different positions. But I knew it. But what I was trying to do, and that to me was a key of coaching, just as you just asked, the fact that I was able to find a way to accentuate all of your talents and minimize all of your deficiencies, but I had, it took me, I had to draw a thousand things to do it, but I had time. I had time before every play. I'd have a whole big, I'd <laughs> tell the guys who were my assistants, you know, I said, you carry, you carry him. I'm not carrying. And I said, give me this one. I'd hold it. I said, I remember now. <laughs> and that's what that's, so that to me is the key of coaching. You, if you can do that, to figure out what this guy can do, because everybody can't do everything. That's the key. Right. And then and then you get the player that works the tail off and is a tough guy. That's where I got 
I figured out that I could get by sometimes with a lesser physical talent if I accentuated what he actually had. But it made me work harder. But that's okay because that's what that's what that's what you do. You know, that's that's beautiful. First of all, I, I there are certain coaches we've talked about, and I'm not going to mention names. I don't like certain coaches. Yeah, me either. Right. <laughs> I'm the same way. I don't like anybody because they don't do that, Mike. They they just they they find talent. They're very good at scouting talent, and then they just use the talent, and then they don't really like help that kid or that man or or that woman develop or or become anything better. Or that person starts to struggle with their system, and then they just let them go. They don't really like help them out or use their strengths, like you said. Whereas other coaches, you can see they 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 love that player, they care for that player, and they're. They're finding a way to be successful together. And that player is going to do whatever they can for that coach. Dick Vermeil was one of those guys. He did a good job. Dick's a good coach. Oh, man. what Brilliant, brilliant man. Good man. Yeah. And he gave, he gave people, you know, off the street chances. Sure he did. You know? Yeah, and that, famous with that uh, young kid from Philadelphia. They made the movie about him. Wahlberg played mm-hmm. it. Excellent. Well, his, the most famous is probably Kurt Warner, right? Well, that's one of them. It took him out of nowhere and made him, of course, Super Bowl MVP. So that worked out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. But a lot of times that, that's the key. You know, that to me was the, the key of coaching. It was the most fun for me. And then, you know, I had a level of a performance that I expected on every play. Mm-hmm. And I never would I never would settle for anything less. Never. And of course, that was a little tough on somebody because I wasn't the easiest guy to deal with. But at the end of it, they loved it. And they looked back on it and they went, wow, it's pretty cool. So it was fun to write about it was really fun for me to write about and i think i think it's a book that people will enjoy i i've I'm, it's coming out all kind of ways i'm working right now on the audio book i'm reading it i read i read two hours a day and then i'm done it works me out. <laughs> i yeah. did today for two hours so when i get done i'm like Ooh, that's it now I'm, i'll be stuttering every word um but it's fun it was really fun to do and to go back and, and look at it and uh you know to just go through a a career and a life of whatever. But, you know, I was always an underdog. I started school young. My parents didn't know. I grew up in a city. You know, we didn't have anything. And I went to school at Wyoming. You know, I'm on a bus for a thousand hours going to school and crazy stuff like that. But then, you know, all of a sudden you get an opportunity and you figure it out and you make it work. And you I just make it work. I think that's why I love you because I, I see a lot of what I want from you. You're essentially you're the American dream. You were not supposed to walk after this latest surgery. That's correct. You were not supposed to be able to walk, and you're on the sidelines, you know, in the playoffs, coaching on crutches and a cane, uh, tough as nails. And now you walk. I mean, you look no cane. Yeah, no cane. You you look like you've never even had a procedure. You look fantastic. I'm doing fine, thank you. Yeah, I just got off. I just talked to the phone with. Uh, Sloan Kettering two days ago, what the, what the, last Friday, days today, whenever, Friday, last last week, a week ago, no, Monday, excuse me, Monday, they were, they had just gotten my x-rays. I went flying off the snowmobile. <laughs> <laughs> they said, we do not, we cannot go back in there, Mike. I said, I don't think I heard anything, but my hip's been bothering me for about a month. He went, oh, Mike. As it turned out, the hardware was fine, and I, I just tore a muscle off the bone, it looked like. And uh, sometimes I think I'm 
47 instead of 74. Well, you you look good, and I'm doing fine. They, I they feel can't, pretty lucky. They can't get thicker metal anymore. No, they don't have anything <laughs> thicker. They don't have anything. To, don't break it, please. But you know, I, said, I didn't want to go flying off. I just hit this thing <laughs> flying back. Was that in Jackson Hole when yeah, you're? Yeah, I just did it to a couple about six weeks ago. But you know, you were talking about coaching and um, you know, a parallel for us for uh, rehabilitation. That's how I feel with patients. I I look at them and I you know I put them through the rigors of testing and whatnot, and I see a certain type of potential it's not even the potential uh that holds people back it's their motivation or their willingness right right and you see this and you say it to this patient or you say this to your your uh player there's really nothing they can't do if they want to do it you know but what's the work that's right what what are you going to do about it what are you going to put into it and you talked about how you worked out but you also like were you were very good at knowing your body Yes. Knowing when to stop, not yes. to push it. Correct. How how did you know that? It just um, back in the day, I could push to where I'd be just about exhausted. Then, as I got older, I learned that when I started to fatigue, that I could drain way too fast. That I should that was good for me. I knew I had to not do that because that's going to get me in trouble because. Then I could get myself in a position where I could actually hurt myself, you know, where because, you know, you have to have a certain level of strength when you're trying to do something. Because, you know, right in the newest one that I have, most of my left leg is metal. Right. Most of it. Right. And then what what only what the only reason that I could lift anything is because they kept this tiny little piece of bone. The femur, little, mm-hmm. that's all about this size. They cut it and split it like this. And put the prosthesis in there, closed it. Now sticking up in the middle, of all that, are my ligaments and tendons. Mm-hmm. That's all I have, and that's all wrapped together with a wire. So if that goes, mm-hmm. I can't move my leg. I could not pick it up. I couldn't do anything. So, you know, I have to use my head a little bit. I'm not great at doing that, but I did learn that when I would get tired and, you know, instead of doing something stupid, well then just <laughs> ride my bike and. You know, don't go quite as far and try to, you know, walk a little bit. Be careful. So I'm, I'm pretty good at it now. I feel pretty good at it. At, uh, at the time, you were the first and only person to have had that procedure done. Correct. Is that still true? Uh, I know that he had talked about, they were talked about doing this type of thing with um, some of the military guys. Okay. That, that, that would possibly be able to save a limb. And they were going to take this and explore that within that realm. I, I don't know exactly how far that went. Wow. But they had talked about that rather than, you know, that a, a bone would be shattered, but they could replace the bone. But then there's the question, okay, well, what's holding the ligaments and tendons on there? What do mm-hmm. we do now? You just can't have all metal. How's it going to move? you got to save something. And uh, you know, I, I have an artificial hip, even though I didn't need one, but I have the, the, the hips all bone. It goes all the way down, down through my knee. Wow. And then the other leg, the, the, the that knee's all metal. So. I have a lot of a lot of artificial parts. I've got more than my share of artificial parts, but they work. They work pretty good. So I'm I feel very fortunate. Very fortunate. So aside but it's from- been fun. I'll go back to my book for a second. Yeah. I I would encourage, oh obviously I encourage hell I wrote it. <laughs> people to take a chance. I, I I promise you that anyone that buys it 
or gets it. You can get it online. You're going to be getting it on uh, Amazon, anywhere anybody wants it, audio book, whatever. Um, they'll enjoy it because it's just a good story about average people. Now, yeah, there's some that's not average because some's about Dan Marino. You know, he's not exactly average. <laughs> but um, that's what it's about. And it's really pretty cool. You know, it's, it's really just a pretty cool story about how you know, everybody's going to look at it and say, you know, this is the same thing that this guy did, a player, or I did, or whomever, that I have to do to have a realm of success. And that's what I tried to, 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 to capitalize. To, uh, capitalize. I tried to do that. And I think I did it. So I think people will they'll get a kick out of it. Because it's not just a football. There's some X and O's. Sure, there's some X and O's. And it's a little long. It's pretty long. But you know, you don't have to read every word. But when's they'll, the, they'll enjoy it. When you when's the movie come out? Nah. <laughs> uh, and who's my gonna, girlfriend keeps talking about. Who's gonna play you? Or who do you want to play I, you? I, I, I was just teasing her it's gonna be Brad Pitt, but we're probably <laughs> <laughs> be somebody a little older. <laughs> I've been teasing her. <laughs> George uh, Clooney, maybe. If if I'm lucky. <laughs> it's just fun to do. It was so much fun to do. And I loved dealing with the players. And every one of the players that helped me with this has told me, Mike, when this comes out and you're traveling around and doing an interview somewhere, call me. I'll come at my own expense and come on there with you. It's because we had so much fun yeah. in doing all this. And I love being able to talk about it. I said, I'll help you do anything with it because this was so much fun. And, uh, you know, now that the game's changed so much, I mean, a lot of these rules have just changed football. Oh, yeah. It's just not the same. I mean, when I was with the Jets, I went a period at the Jets for 10 years there. I had nine, nine different players that led the National Football League in returns. Yep. Ooh. Nobody's going to break that record because you don't have any plays now. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, That's kickoffs right. are touchbacks. Leon Washington's one of them, right? Leon's one. I was just with him the other night. I was just with him. Hey, go, go FSU. Oh, he's a great kid. Got the oh, yeah. Great kid. I, I love him. him. He's one of my buddies. He's, he, he talked a lot in the book. Did he, he did a great oh he did a great job. We interviewed him. He did a great job. You know what? You know what? The movie sounds great, right? <laughs> the movie. <laughs> but That's pretty funny. I, I would like to see uh a multi, uh a limited series on Netflix where they talk about this and, and talk That's about what girlfriend talks about. That's even better. Well, what I thought if they were gonna do something where I if I if I if I if I, some, if I had a goal where I thought someone could do something to me, it would be like when like ESPN does that 30 for 30 thing where they actually right. put things together, pieces of things, and then they, they show how it, it would not just be, it would be stuff with me, hard knocks, you could have all that. But you could have all these guys mm -hmm. show what we did. And then and a lot of it's stuff that, you know, there was off the field things that went on and stuff with Lee Corso that I dealt with, Bobby Knight. I've got the greatest story about him. Bear Bryant, Woody Hayes. It's incredible. I was so fortunate. These are the things just happened. And then crazy things. There's a couple people that will not be very happy because mm. I was tough on them. But I, I was hard and I just, I told it like it was. And I described one guy that he should have never been a head coach in the National Football League or a head coach in any league. Mm. He was, I didn't, I tell you the truth, I didn't use his name because I won't say his name. He makes me want to throw up. But, so but I was a little tough on some people sometimes. They're definitely going to do a 30 for 30 on you. <laughs> but I'm thinking about Save the Dance. Forget about Michael Jordan. We should be, they should have a limited series on you. And it's a great story. It's a good story. You're going to reach people Not that. Not just for me so much, but for 
And some for me, I, I think I did a lot of it, but so many of those guys, nobody heard. No, right. Nobody knew Taysom Hill. He's the greatest. But yeah. aside from Leon football. Washington, you know what a great. Oh, I, I had so many football. These guys, these doctors, yeah. they're the best. Coach. You know, John Healy, I mean, in orthopedic surgery, he's first, nobody's second. Right. I mean, he's the man. Yeah. And he's such a gentleman. Such a first-class individual. I just talked to him. He called me the other day. He was getting on a plane going to San Francisco. He said, please don't tell me I can't go back in. <laughs> I said, no, Doc. A little sore, though. Send the x-rays. You know, oh, Mike. He called me back. Just your, talked to him the other day. Your touch on people, it's beyond football. I mean, this story is, think about, I'm thinking about a family friend of mine who has cancer now. She has a very rare form of cancer, 20 years old. Oh, terrible she just went up to sloan kettering herself but that's an inspiration your book would be an inspiration so i'm thinking about not just a player but think about everybody that's had to deal with something yeah. you know yeah we all this you're gonna touch everybody we, we don't we, none of us go through this unscathed right i mean I, I never knew i was living near a waste dump and i somehow i ended up with you know i ended up with bone cancer I, who knows who's gonna how's that gonna happen anybody you know, I'm thinking I'm perfectly healthy. Well, not so fast. And then you've got to figure out, okay, now what are you going to do now? And I can remember this doctor that, that did my first surgery, a guy named Henry Mankin. He was such a such a hard-nosed guy, and he was so brilliant. Maybe best orthopedic surgeon in the world back in those days. And he would tell me, he said, look, he said, fight to keep a normal life. He said, you're, you're not going to feel like going out. He said, go out. He said, you're not going to feel normal. You're not going to look normal. Little did I know that I'd look like you know, walking dead or something. But he'd say, don't let it, don't let it change you. He said, don't let it happen. Fight to keep who you are. And he said, just, you know, get in the car and go. Go to a restaurant. He said, yeah, you, maybe you don't have hair. You know, he said, you just kind of, you know, just, just you know, be quiet. Just live your life. I coached that way. I went on the field in the National Football League, which is tough because when I first started doing things, I was pretty good. I was athletic. I could mm -hmm. throw really good. I could run drills. I could do everything. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, I'm just trying to get across the damn street. And, you know, here I am coaching in the NFL. And I'm walking out on the field with a cane and throwing a cane. And, yeah, I, care. I, was just, I could fight. I wouldn't quit fighting. And um, it's what I knew growing up. Growing up, I was younger. I was smaller. I was a year younger. I started school a year younger. So it was hard. I was intimidated. I wasn't a great student. And here I got all A's in grad school. So I figured it out. But <laughs> first, first, I was intimidated. Uh, and I wasn't big. You know, here I'm a sophomore. I'm a year behind everybody. But when I had my chance and I got it, then I was the first sophomore in the history of the school to start every game. So I figured it out. I'm a little kid. I grew up in a city. You know, we used to hang out on these rooftops of garages. These other kids were coming through our neighborhood. To get to our neighborhood, you had to go through a little tiny walkway. So we were up on our hangout, the roofs. And we were we'd take bags of roof dirt, throw it into the wall, and it would just rain down. <laughs> we thought it was hysterical. And they didn't think it was so funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> they caught me one day. And they beat the hell out of me. Well, I mean, they beat the hell out of me. These kids is older. I was 11 years old. They beat me. They beat me really bad. And there was a movie out at the time called On the Waterfront. Marlon Brando mm -hmm. yeah, played yeah. On the Waterfront. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the movie, I, I actually wrote about this too. Somebody read a whole damn book. I gave it away to them. 
No, no. Anyway, um, to kind of send a message, there was a thing in the in the movie where Rod's or Marlon Brando's brother, who worked for the mob, was to try to make sure his brother didn't deal with the investigators. And when the outcome of that meeting was a little bit in doubt, the mob executed his brother, shot him. And they hung him on a hook, those dock workers use, you know, those old kind of hooks. Yeah. They hung him in an alley on a hook. Well, these kids, after they beat the hell out of me, hung me in a garage. They hung me in a garage. And they got my they told my brother, go find your mother to get him out. So, you know, so I found each one of them. I, I had to learn to fight. And I did. Took me, especially when I was a skinny little shit. You know, it's not easy. Uh, I learned how to box. So I can hit a speed bag. I know I have one in my garage at Weston or at Lexington. Uh, I can hit better than Rocky Balboa. I'm really good. <laughs> at it. I can. I can do it today. Right, as good as Rocky. I learned, um, and that's how I grew up. That's all I knew, and I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. <laughs> and I'd lose. Mm-hmm. I'd lose, but then I'd win. You know, and I. I grew up, and uh, and I loved sports, and I loved the underdog. I loved those guys. I mean, I had so much fun with them. Yeah, I didn't care if they were this big. Those guys would knock your head off. So I made them something, and we broke all the records. And that's what it's all about, and that's all the book is. And it's also about all the people along the way that none of us could get anywhere if they weren't there to help you. That's right. Doctors, rehab people, whatever. None of us get anywhere if we don't understand and appreciate that. And I think one of the things sometimes that we lose as a society, people become so self-centered. They're rude. They go to a gas station, they pull right in front of you. They don't want to say, you know, they don't want to say thank you. Things like that. They lose, we lose sight of that. And um, then there's always some of us like me that if you cut in front of me, then I'm probably going to go to jail. I to <laughs> but that's Feed him to the sharks. who I am. Um, and I'm so appreciative of all that stuff that I did. And, and I cherish it. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of respect it. And that, to me, is what I thought in the National Football League they had lost sight of. And I wasn't going to let it happen. There's a whole thing. I won't give this away. I won't talk about this one. But there's a whole thing about the national anthem. Oh yeah, because well, don't say don't say anything else because I I want to read about that myself. You're going to read about this one exactly, and and, and we'll discuss that whole down thing the road. all about it. It's in the mm-hmm. prologue. Okay. That, well, anyway, listen, okay, I th- guys. I thought that was beautiful. So. Oh, man, I really appreciate you coming out here and helping yeah, us out. Thank, thank you, you so thank much. Thank you very much. You're welcome to come anytime. All right. Well, maybe it'll people watch it and maybe they'll, they'll enjoy it. Or maybe they'll learn something and appreciate what you guys do. Or maybe they'll go buy a book. I'm, I'm honestly excited about all the people that you're going to influence and touch. Aside from, you know, just, just by talking, listening to you, your story, and then reading about it. I mean, it, it's a book for everybody. So I think it is. I'm excited. I think, you know, one of the things like you guys, I mean, I know you, you guys in a podcast, to me, you, you piggyback off one another. Mm-hmm. My, this is what I feel. It's the way I see it. You know, because someone's watching you. And maybe they're, maybe there are guys that just, they're, they're really into medical stuff. Okay. And they watch you guys. They watch this. They watch a little clip of it and they think, 
you know, that's pretty good. This guy knows a little something about medicine. Maybe we should give him a call. Or maybe we should use a little part of it. You know what I'm getting at? Right. And then that's what that's what kind of will generate some stuff for me. And um, so. I, I agree with you, Coach. I mean, the bar should be here for everybody. Why not? And if you can't mm -hmm. hit it, at least you tried. Exactly. At least you tried. And if you did, guess what? The next person, the bar is going to be. You, you just keep getting better. And you keep appreciating everything. So I, I used to talk about that in my meetings. I'd be in there in training camp. But this whole, I'd be looking out at 50 kids. Now that 50, only 20 are staying. Okay. Now I can look at some of them and I know they're going home. Mm -hmm. God bless them. They're good kids, but they're just not good enough. Mm -hmm. Or they might be really close. Or maybe they've got everything, but they're not smart enough. Or maybe they're not disciplined enough. They're whatever. And I used to talk to them about different things. And I, I was getting older and I'd be in my 60s. And I'd say, let me explain something to you guys. I said, you need to put a bar where it's hard for me to see, not you. I'm putting it up here. Now, you never even thought about being up there, but that's where I'm putting it. So until you're there, I'm going to climb up your ass and pitch a tent. So get ready <laughs> for me because it's not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. I said, but here's the key. See, I'm 60. I'd say I'd be 65 then or whatever I was. And I said, so when I go now, when I go out or I go to a bar, I'm sitting there with my friends and we're talking a little bit. And, you know, and I, yeah, I, I tried to make it in the NFL and I didn't make it. I got cut. Okay. And I went and I coached a little bit, whatever. I said, and you're, you get to a particular age. Nobody cares. The fact that you gave it a shot, you tried everything you could, that will resonate with you for the rest of your life. Your grandkids, just like mine now, they'll sit on your lap someday, and you'll be talking about this stuff, and that you were in camp. You were in camp with the New York Jets or the New Orleans Saints. You came this close, and you were Drew Brees. You were catching passes from Drew Brees. You think everybody gets to do that? Right. This is a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. So the fact if you don't make it, that's not even near as important as the fact that you tried to make it. Absolutely. That's the key. The rest of it, shit, nobody gives a fuck. But this one, this counts. This is what you'll be so proud of, that you had this opportunity. And then you'll look back and you'll, you'll see things that, that we're doing. Or say, even if you don't make it, you'll know. You make that play, woo-wee. Nothing better than that. That's so, great. That's think, the kind of stuff that I, I care about. I think that's a great place to stop. Yeah. I we're going yeah. to recommend everybody uh, to go get Coach's book. It comes out and. <laughs> July. July. Figure, it figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. It's it is a good title, and I can't wait to get it myself. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna get it. We're gonna put it up here, and we're gonna plug it a couple of times. Now you'll but enjoy it. I appreciate. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. It was fun to do. The whole thing's fun. I appreciate stuff you guys have done for me. You know, look at me. I'm walking. I'm. You remember when I came in? I could barely walk. Hey man, yeah. it's good to see you. I used to get up on that thing. I had that big thing around you, just put around your waist. You remember yeah. that? Air, <laughs> yeah. Air yeah. Thing? Oh man, I was that was that was all I could do. Try to take a couple steps with that. But you're tough as hell, man. You did it. Keep fighting through it. You just don't have much choice. I know. I'm right, not coach. moving that fast, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> right. Sounds good.